Hey there, this is Brian from the Craft Hot Sauce Podcast, and thank you for tuning in today. I'm excited to share this conversation with Alan Price of Sacred Sauce. Uh, we started the conversation uh, with, about his upbringing in South Africa, but the episode has uh, a wealth of experiences and realizations that uh, was fun to uh, talk with Alan about. And uh, we got his music in the podcast as well. Uh, the song is Here I Stand, uh, which is produced uh, and played by Alan and his friend Dale, who you'll actually uh, meet and hear about in the podcast. Uh, but yeah, ho- hope you enjoy the, the story. Hope you're doing well. And don't forget to subscribe to the Craft Hot Sauce podcast and check out some other stories on our website, crafthotsauce.com. Um, but here we go with Here I Stand. The full song will be at the end of the podcast. Let's go. You can be my inspiration. Alan, well, it's five o'clock where I am, so so cheers. Um, cheers. Gl- glad you, you can be here and, and uh, glad your sacred sauce has got to me um, probably an hour before th- this conversation. So uh, thank you for, for sending those along. And, and uh, I actually did get to try them already on some uh, rice pilaf and roasted beets and carrots and, and uh, it's delicious. So um, th- thanks for being here and, and uh, thanks for the sauces. Cool, cool. Yeah, glad you got them. Awesome. And, and uh, this is, we've had a, a couple of conversations after you uh, started the, the Craft Hot Sauce profile and, and shared your story. And I had so many questions and it was so um, inspirational and also kind of reminded uh, a little bit of myself in terms of kind of your moments of kind of aha moments and passion and drive and, and kind of talking about what you want to create. So I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, and yeah, so I, I, uh, I think we got a, a lot to talk about, but I, I feel like how you started your, your craft hot sauce profile is a, uh, a good place to start. And, uh, you mentioned grew up in South Africa and that your, um, kind of go-to lunch was mayonnaise, fresh chilies and cheese, uh, <laughs> melted in the microwave. So, uh, w- what else was normal with your, your childhood? <laughs> I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your upbringing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a really colorful childhood, a really wonderful childhood. I've got a very big family in South Africa. Uh, my dad's from England. We were actually born in England and moved to South Africa. I mean, for me, when I was nine months old. So South Africa, I still call home, although I've probably lived more outside of the country now than I have lived in it. Um, but it's still home for me. It's where I developed, it's where my friends are, my family and, you know, my accent. <laughs> um, just, you know, all those, I guess, really important things of growing up that, that all happened to me. My normal was South Africa, uh, which obviously wasn't a normal country at all. Uh, you know, especially the, the way that we grew up with and the things that we had to go through and in, in the very necessary changes as well, which was great during yeah. my time. And, and I don't actually know too much. I, I hate to say it, but I actually don't know too much about South Africa and, and um, I, I actually don't know too much about uh, Johannesburg. Is that, so that's where you grew up in South Africa? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We call it Joburg or Josie. Okay. 
but it seems like you uh, kind of with your family and area were surrounded by a lot of cultural influences, but I, I'm curious kind of like what, what you were, were you into growing up? Oh, I think growing up is it's probably more character trait as well. It's what I'm into now. And that's, you know, I often joke and say, well, I'll try anything twice. Uh, you know, the first time you're always apprehensive about doing something new, rightfully, you know, what's it going to taste like? What's it going to feel like? Uh, you know, am I going to be scared of this thing, whether it's an experience or it's a taste or it's a whatever it is. The first time you're generally apprehensive. So I part jokingly say I'll, I'll do anything twice. Uh, but on, on the, the truth of it is the second time you kind of know what to expect a bit and you rather just taste it for what it is or you do it for what it is and you enjoy it for what it is. And then you can kind of make an accurate assessment of whether it's something you want to do again or not. Um, so growing up, it was very much full of that stuff. I mean, definitely soccer, football, as we call it. Uh, you know, that was huge in our home. Uh, my brother and my dad was a coach and a FIFA ref and things like that and a manager. Um, so we just grew up playing football my whole life. Um, but beyond that, it, I guess, again, not like unlike most kids which I tried everything I did horse riding I was uh, I did painting for quite a few years uh, I could still sketch and do you know cartoons and uh, you know art was something that is definitely born with I guess mm-hmm. um, and then just random shit karate <laughs> um, I don't even know I, I tried a lot of things I guess as a kid um, you know drama I did at school um, art stuff basically anything that was new and exciting, I would do. And then I would kind of get into it for a while, really live it and then find the next thing and move on. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I am now, I guess, in, in terms of travel and homes and all sorts. Like I've, I've, I've just kept moving, I guess. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, it, not too many 12-year-olds when I was growing up were eating chilies, but uh, was food kind of a, a big part or was that kind of just something you, you came across with? really liking hot foods and, and chilies. Yeah. I, I guess food was, a. again, I think I was lucky having a really great family. My mom was, you know, a very staunch, strict Portuguese Catholic mom. Um, and, you know, I was forced in the kitchen a lot, you know, it's often against our will, anything when you're a kid, you don't want to be doing, you just want to be playing. Um, but yeah, I was forced in the kitchen a lot. And I, I must say I was more of a mommy's boy, I guess, you know, my dad was a coach and ref, like I said, and a manager, and, and I've got an older brother, and he always uh, coached and ref my, well, not ref, but coached and managed my brother's teams as they went through the years. Um, and so being three years younger than him, I always played football, but I was always in a different team, obviously, so I didn't get coached and, and managed by my dad. So they were obviously together quite a lot during those times. And then at home, I think I just had the, that stronger connection with my mom. So a lot of that was then being forced in the kitchen to help. Um, but mainly, and this, I guess, also where it comes into the salad sauce later, is like as a kid, the other thing that I really loved was salads, like really loved salads, which is, I guess, now growing up and finding out it's not very normal for kids to want to eat just salads and vegetables mm-hmm. and fruits and things like that. Um, but I think there's as well, like the house that we grew up in, I mean, I had a plum tree, a peach tree, nectarines, um, figs. We had all these beautiful fruits in the backyard. And it was just like, you know, as a kid running around the garden with my dog and throwing fruit into the pool and then diving for it and just uh-huh. eating fruits. Um, and then, yeah, going back to my mom in the kitchen, just being forced to help to cook. So it, I don't know if it was 
like as romantic as ever is yeah i think and on the other hand i think it's just very normal people were you know cooking with your family and cooking with my yeah. mom very nice yeah no i think when it's just around you and, and sometimes it will obviously come out uh later in terms of, of how you're kind of using those skills and familiarity with with those uh flavors but that's that's very cool um and so i know you you've uh mentioned that you've done a lot of travel and, and definitely want to get to that. But um, I'm curious, like kind of what was your, your first kind of trip, whether that be a backpacking trip or, or an experience or travel that you're like, whoa, this is uh, something that gets me going or, or I am too. Cause I, I, you haven't said that, but I, I'm sure that that passion is there just with all the travel and experiences that you've done, especially trying things twice. But I, I'm curious kind of what got you on the road yeah um again i think it's just more deep-rooted um ideas planted i think you know having a, a british father my mom's from madeira all my fan all my family in south africa is all portuguese you know i even growing up my brother and i always joke like what are we are we south african are we portuguese are we english or like what are we because depending on who you're speaking to they, they would always call you something else. You know what I mean? Like some of my friends would call me Pora for being Portuguese. Other people would say I'm fully British. And then, you know, now that I'm traveling, people go, oh, you're from South Africa? I say, yes. So it's, I've got these connections to all these different parts. And I very much felt, not like a gypsy, but, you know, there were so many parts to us. And I knew, like, my mom had gone traveling when, you know, when she was young. My dad was obviously, you know, he traveled a lot when, when he was younger and obviously then settled in South Africa. And then growing up through my teens, um, you know, again, I've got a massive, huge, huge family, <laughs> very big, close, close family, all my cousins, second cousins, third cousins, all that. And a lot of them were, you know, there to, especially back in there, to go fight in, in Angola. So there was a lot of, we were just aware of people traveling and coming and going and coming and going. Mm. And um, also when I was sort of getting to the late teens, um, thinking about like, what are you going to do when you leave school? At that point, we still had um, sort of these visa uh, opportunities, I guess. I, I already had a British passport, um, but there were sort of visa opportunities in place. So a lot of South Africans had this sort of, not a birthright, but a, a travel right or a right of yeah. way, a right yeah, of yeah. passage. Mm -hmm. A lot of South Africans left school uh, and went traveling for a year or two through Europe or Australia, did whatever. And so, again, it's a lot of my friends and family or, or friends, brothers, that type of thing. Uh, we we're always aware that people were coming and going. And, and whenever we'd meet up with these people on the way back, it was always full of excitement and these great stories and places that they'd seen. And um, so that was part. And again, I, I don't know if I can bring it down to one notion, because, again, it's all these different pieces in place. Uh, but also one thing that I loved when I was a kid and actually always loved really because my dad had his own company doing uh, fire detection, putting break glasses and flame detectors in buildings and offices and mines and airports and air forces and you know, all these very weird, like I went to amazing place like diamond mines in Arapa in Botswana. Wow. Um, and I went to all these very strange and like, like places that are generally off, limits to people as well like going underground to work on diamond mines and um, being in air force hangars putting flame detectors over these like real top secret things wow. so and I was, I was doing that from probably around eight or nine 
And I would go with my dad to all these really cool places. And I would just, you know, as a child, all I could do is hand him screwdrivers and things. But it was the, the traveling part of it that I loved so much. Just being in the car, going somewhere new. Yeah. Wow. That, that, that's really cool. So, so did you go uh, kind of take your uh, year after kind of school to, to do some traveling? Or, or did you get a job yeah, it was right my- after school? Uh, I had so many jobs. I've had so many jobs. <laughs> We're going to get, definitely yeah. get into a few of them, uh, <laughs> at, at least maybe not everyone, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the first, you know, when I, when I left school, it was just kind of messing around, I guess, trying to find my feet. Um, you know, I started studying music at university, um, and then sort of got out of it very quickly as well. Um, mainly just because I, I loved learning and I still love learning today but I just didn't feel it was the right type of learning. Um, and so for music anyway, I'll just very quickly explain. The, the reason why I didn't really get into it is because it, it felt like they were teaching me how to do this, only like this. Don't ever do anything but this. <laughs> and to me, music was almost like poetry. You're learning the language, fine. Of course, there's theories and all these things in there involved to, to kind of drill it into your head. But then once you've got it, then the, the whole point is to play with it was the rhythm, the timing, the notes. They say you can't put two, two of these notes together. And then it's like, well, what if I do? And then later through learning, you realize, well, that is a chord. It's just a very dissonant one. So then it's like, okay, why were you telling me I couldn't do that then? You mm-hmm. can do it. You didn't tell me why I could use it or when it's useful. It's, a, it's like a color palette. So this color does exist. Why can't I use it? And I just felt that they were only let me do this, only like this all the time. And it just just... just I guess probably problem with most, well, a lot of people that, you know, talking about schooling, I loved school, but people that normally talk about that they hate schools because they didn't quite gel with the, the teaching methods. Yeah. And it was probably just not that the way for me. I think that was just the biggest um, issue for me is that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was learning. And so I stopped. Yeah. And I know you, you've gone and played in, in many bands and, and it, it pro- that probably was a great, exciting time to have just that freedom of going out and creating, especially with, with other people. I think that's like so cool about music is that everyone's bringing their own piece and ideas and, and tagging on to them and, and bringing their own twist to it. But then it comes into one kind of cohesive piece that can be enjoyed from, from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Music. I often say, and I, I kind of counter, counter this, I say music was my biggest teacher. And I also say travel is my biggest teacher. Um, and I, I believe them equally. I don't even know which one I would put above the rest, above the other, but music taught me a hell of a lot about myself. Uh, it was great that, that I got to do that, especially from a young age with, with my best friends. And we all played instruments terribly, but we were, you know, learning together. And I think that was the, the, the lessons in it was that when we would come together and I would hear my friend playing piano, my other friend playing drums, my other friend playing bass, all these things. And I would listen to them and go, shit, like they're, they're really good. Like they're getting good. And, and we all were because we were all sitting at home, you know, literally alone, just learning and learning. And it's very, it's a very strange thing, music as well, because you spend so many hours just alone mm. repeating the same thing over and over yep. and over again. And it might be you're doing it to get nimble. It might be doing it because you're trying to get faster. It might be doing it because you're, you're exploring sounds. It might be just to keep busy and keep warm. 
Um, but, and, and you really got to try to find your way through that, but either way, you just got to keep working. Um, and then when we got together, it was this, it just seemed to be this upward spiral. Like I was getting better because they were getting better and they were getting better because I was getting better. And it was just yeah. this thing that we kept feeding each other. And then I wanted to be better, not for me, although it was that, but at the same time we learned that if, and together we learned this it wasn't just like this, this epiphany for me together we really learned and taught each other that if you know if i can play one note that makes the pianist sound even better mm. then only play that note don't there's no need to go through all the notes that you know play that one and there was a an interview about a, i don't know if it was you Masekela, one of the african jazz giants of, of south africa that was being interviewed about music and and things and uh, he described it like when you're playing with your friends, it's all, you, you sort of close your eyes and you're all feeding into this image and there's this tree growing as part of you all just playing and this thing's growing as it goes. You know, it, it, there's a beginning and it builds and it builds and this thing's busy growing. And when you're picking those notes, especially if you're soloing or, or doing some um, uh, improv of any sort, it's like really dialing into what that room has created because of who's in it. And then you're only picking the ripest fruit. You're mm. not just playing again. Mm. You're really listening to each other and, and going at that level. And that was when I say this type of learning that I got from music. It wasn't just music. It was emotional. It was about people. It's about uh, real in-depth awareness as well. Wow. Can I, as you were describing that, I was just kind of thinking back to kind of a concert where like, I was so far away I, I was on the grass at some concert and just like uh it, just like feeling that i was in tune with the crowd and and the the band and i, I think it, it's a real real thing when, when um you're kind of sensing the energy and and i, I really like that analogy about kind of what you're creating and then continuing to grow it from there by kind of yeah that's yeah yeah, so music was was really great for me, and then playing live was just another sort of learning in the in in kind of what industry we're in, I guess. You know, when mm. we first started, everyone, you know, you think like for us anyway, we just thought, you know, we were going to be real musos. We, you know, we obviously there to have fun and whatever. And, what and it's is this when you were kind of late teens and going into your twenties in South Africa? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So for, I mean. Yeah, I was still, I guess it, up until 1920, we were still playing and learning and playing and learning. It was that type of thing. I think we only really started playing professionally when I first came back from traveling the first time. And that was around, my, I think I was 21 when I came back home. So I left at 19 and, and came back for my 21st birthday, which I don't know about here yeah, in America, but 21st is like the huge milestone in South Africa. It's been, it definitely is here key. too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys have a tradition where you get a, a little key for your, for your 21st. We, we, we it, don't. It's typically just go to the bar and black out, <laughs> yeah, which, <laughs> which is what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. So we, we do that at 18 when we're allowed to drink. So 21, it's, you know, we've oh, okay. been drinking legally drinking for three years but illegally for much longer <laughs> um but the yeah so the whole symbol uh, symbolism of it is you get the, the keys to life so all these cards and things that you get they're all key related nice your 21st cool and, and um so because I, I know you and you've gone into music 
professionally, not just touring, but um, it's like you have started a record label, right? In, in uh, Scotland. Yeah. Sunny, sunny Glasgow. Oh, Glasgow. Okay. <laughs> I, I've actually never been to Glasgow, but I've done a, some work with folks from Glasgow and, and it's definitely on my list. But um, I mean, it seemed like, like music had went through a, a serious time of, of disrupt, disruption, um, especially with kind of uh, producing music. And uh, around that time is, I think, when Apple music was getting uh, really big. And so um, what kind of made you want to start that? What was some of the, what was kind of driving you to start that? Yeah, well, music, I guess, was was always that number one driver in my life. So it was like, I was going to play. So I was playing all the time. I kept learning. I was always, you know, keeping, I guess, ready uh, to play. So whenever I was traveling, I, you know, I just had my guitar with me and I was just playing. You know, I wasn't really doing, I wasn't really writing or doing anything like that. I was just constantly playing. And I was playing with other people, playing with other music, playing to the radio. I was just sort of exploring and keeping busy. Um, but, yeah, come when i when i first moved to glasgow it was the beginning of 2006 it was like february 2006 and there was a, a friend of a friend you know a guy that we used to party with up in uh, in south africa in joburg a guy called dale mccann and he was writing songs and he was living in glasgow so i was in in milton Keynes staying with another friend of mine and um and we started talking on the phone uh, because I knew he was up in, in Scotland doing music and I was in sort of London to do music as well. And we'd partied together a few times and well, quite a lot actually. Um, but so got in, got in touch with him over the phone and we just started playing song ideas to each other over the phone. And within a matter of months, I sort of packed everything up and I moved up to Glasgow because he had uh, met these great guys uh, who I'm still very, very close to today. Um, Roderick and Alan and so nice. they um so Roddy is a is it still is a, a producer out there so we you know got together and he, he recorded the songs and Alan Kay is more of a business guy and he's, he's just a phenomenal human being he's just like I don't know he, I don't even know how to explain him he's almost like a robot in some ways <laughs> he's just phenomenal just action orientated like his memory recall is super well read um just always on a mission always doing something always learning always consuming um and so we meet we try and meet every second month or so we do a call called expanding explorers where we go through all of our positive charges in life negative charges in cool. life what we're trying to work on so those two anyway we were still very very close with from those days um but back to your question about uh, music, yeah, it was actually MySpace. I think that really kicked it all off back then. You know, mm. there were a lot of bands that were sort of self-producing, self-promoting, and up till that point, you know, I'd been backpacking through the Middle East and uh, a bit through Europe, and then you know, got home to South Africa and just sort of caught up there. Where you know, we we're, I guess, slow at, at adopting a lot of things. At least just being so far away. And so by the time I landed back up in, in London, there were all these new things with, you know, computers and stuff. And I still don't think I owned a computer at that point, like 2006. So it was, it was once we got up there and we, we were writing songs to write songs, you mm -hmm. know, not to start a label or anything like that. But it was only once we, we felt like, shit, we've got some good songs here. 
you know, we should, and we've always thought of doing it professionally and doing it for real, not just as a hobby. So how, how would we do this? Like, what do you have to do to do this? Like, and, and we're in Glasgow. So it's like, okay, competition is going to be harder, but at least we've got, you know, stuff to keep us uh, inspired. Keep yeah. us on our toes. So, you know, we started looking at, well, you know, how do we do this? And at that same time, you know, MySpace came out and we were exploring all these new bands that we'd obviously never heard of. And you just started seeing all these bands like, wow, there's a shitload of really cool bands out there. Um, and I think it was Arctic Monkeys were the, the, the main guys to come out in MySpace during that time. Wow. I didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah. And so they, and you know, and they, and they really blew up quite quickly in it. And they were just young dudes just writing songs, recording songs, putting them on MySpace. So we, we kind of thought the same thing. Well, how do, we, how do we write and record and just release our own stuff? And we were with Alan and Roderick and all these you know, other great minds around us. And we thought, well, let's start a record label and, and just self-release. And so that started that whole path. <laughs> it cool. feels the same as, as, as Sacred Source now. There's a lot of naivety in starting a business. And I think, it's, I think you almost, in, in, in one sense, you need that naivety because... yeah. Shit wouldn't have done wrong. it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's yeah. really hard. And, and so many things you do and you think, oh, cool, I'm done. And you open a door and there's just corridors with more doors. You're like, shit. Okay, yeah. I'm only like a third of the way. You know, and you so, think you're so far and then you find out a whole lot of things that you still got to figure out. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I think that naivety. And I had it now at Sacred Source as well. There were a lot of things that I thought that I was, you know, in control of or on top of. And then I open up a, a new category and it's like, shit there's a lot to learn. Yeah. There's a lot to do. Yeah. And it's just, you just sort of, you know, crack your knuckles and get going. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine you've learned a lot through kind of your father who kind of with his business and just being around it at an early age, but was that kind of your first experience kind of trying to build a business kind of work on building a great product, working with other people uh, and, and, kind of getting the whole recruitment of, of bands and producing. Is that your kind of your first experience going through that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, your earlier question about what South Africa was like, South Africa is a very young, young country and it's a very entrepreneurial country. Like mm -hmm. most people I'd say they have businesses. It's, there's a lot of people there that own, mm -hmm. like have operate, run a business of some kind, you know, whether it's side hustles, whatever, it's just, there's a lot of it. It's a very, um, self-starter kind of mentality although we're also very very uh also conservative as well anyway when i was growing up a very conservative country but um yeah so i guess i'd seen a lot in terms of, of people starting businesses and things and which probably fueled my the naivety side like sure i mean if if, if all these like tens of thousands or millions of other people are doing it every day then you know surely i can do it and so I think that was the it, that was the the start of it. But what you just described, going through everything, all the, the notions of finding the right people and getting the people together and making a great product and all that stuff, I don't think we thought that through. Mm. I think we were very much young and inexperienced in the sense that we thought we were going to make songs and people were going to dig it, and that's all that mattered. Um, and obviously now, even now with sacred source there's so many things that you just have to be aware of the email marketing responders customer services um 
you know, all of the, the financial stuff, governance, yeah. regulatory, taxes, um, you know, all of these things need to be ticked off. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the part. And, you know, it, it makes me think, there was a guy I once met in, a, in an elevator where I, I lived. We didn't really know each other, still didn't know his name. Um, but we'd always see each other going up and down the elevator. And one of the last times I saw him, if not the last time I saw him, uh, he told me that he was quitting his job and he was going to start a law firm, his own law firm. And he was a youngish guy, late 20s, around there. So, you know, not, not super old and experienced, but not young and stupid either. Um, and he told me that he was going to start this law firm and, and he's, he was just running through all of the stuff he was going to do because he was good at law and all these things. And he loved cases. And I remember telling him like, it, without being offensive, it's like, I think I would build a better law firm than you. And the reason why it was because he was so talking about his product that he wasn't talking about his business. Mm. And, and so that's why, why I say that, not because of out of arrogance or anything like that, but really to, sh- to highlight that context of where you're coming from. Because I'm not a lawyer, because I don't know how to get involved with every single case and everything that goes on, I'm going to look at running the business and how we get clients in and how we're servicing people, are our staff happy, you know, all of that part of running a business, which then inevitably makes sure that we have the best product and all that, you know, that get the best results and things like that. But it's, it's that clear difference between running a company and doing something that you're good at. Yeah. And I think that was the problem with us with music is not even to say that we were so good at writing songs or anything like that. I just mean, we, we were solely focused on that. We just were writing songs and that was it. And then, you know, obviously no surprise, we weren't selling lots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it seems like you got, um, I mean, I think everything in life is, there's usually not one moment. I mean, it, sometimes there are moments of realization, but a lot of that has to do with kind of growth and experiences along the way. Um, but it seems like you got a lot of those kind of in-depth experiences growing um, with company uh, Rockstar, right? Or, or no, no Monster, 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 Monster. Oh, I, yeah. well, I'll have to... <laughs> to edit that out like but uh uh yeah so i mean I, I know you were kind of leading up a lot of their digital initiatives in a very kind of innovative fast changing time yeah uh, going through that um so yeah uh, what, what was that like yeah so monster energy was an interesting one because we so dale and i still had uh, future records up in in glasgow and we were doing a lot of weird random like promo jobs on the side I mean, really weird shit, dressing (laughs) up as uh, Alton John and I don't even know who else we did. You know, dressing up in weird characters and handing out water on the streets and going out and handing out flies and doing real, like, some shitty work as well. (laughs) Um, But again, colourful and exciting. And Glasgow, Glasgow's a really cool city. I would definitely highly suggest you go there. Yeah. Some connections, obviously, to the UK and to the the Celtic side, at least, with, uh, with Crack Sauce and your background. Uh, and traveling out there. So I think Glasgow is a, it's a really cool, young, dirty, gritty, arty, uh, really cool city. Good, good vibes and good energy and great people. I was there for four and a half years. So I really feel you know, like Scotland's almost a second home. You know, I spent a lot of time. Awesome. Um, but uh, Monster Energy. Yeah. So we, 
we were doing all these kind of random jobs and this this kind of cloak and dagger email came through from an agent that we were working with saying that there is this drinks brand that we're looking for sort of ambassadors and it was more the the idea that they were withholding so much information like normally they tell you this is the brand this is yeah. what they're looking for and it was more that they were withholding so much information that made it a bit more intriguing and every time we asked it was just like oh they can't tell you we can't tell you we'll let you know when you get there someone will explain when you get there and the whole time it was like that like even <laughs> to the point where we met them it was still like don't run and tell you who the brand is and the whole point was you know monster it was just uh, leaving the US for the first time, Red Bull mm. had been around for decades and all that. Um, and the the other part was it wasn't really an interview; it was more like an audition. So we had another guy, Matt Cowell. I'm still very close friends with. Uh, he's moved back to Australia now. He he actually didn't work for Monster Energy, but later on, then got a job at Monster Energy at a very high level as well. Um, but he actually auditioned me for that that role and it was on camera and it was all very weird drawing pictures very psychological but it was fun and it i think just added to the whole sort of mystique of the whole thing so so, so what would you have to do you, there's some draw, like, drawing involved yeah we were drawing pictures and again you know on something i spoke about earlier like i can draw like i, I can yeah. sketch i can draw cartoons and whatever so i guess you know, when it came to getting the whole picture across or whatever that it was that they were trying to get us to do, mine was a lot easier to read, if you if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah Because yeah. I could draw at least situations and things like that. Um, and well, anyway, it was just really fun. And, it, and I think the vibe was good. And I got on well with Matt. And, and uh, so I ended up getting this kind of role of going down through the UK and and helping sort of do field marketing uh, of you know putting monster in people's hands and, and just getting them to try it and so we had these fuck off huge monster trucks you know fully wrapped with the, the logo and the drinks and we had these um, amazing fridges in the back with um what's it like hydraulic fridge doors and stuff would come <laughs> up and they had these huge marine speakers underneath the truck and on, on the back of the truck they were just loud and just i mean basically you would hear it before you saw it and then you would just sort of people standing on the street going what the fuck is this and by the time we've left they've just got this ice cold drink <laughs> in their hands, just thinking what the fuck just happened to me <laughs> um, so, and we got to we got to travel again a lot through that like really cool. up and down the, the uk across to ireland and then from there i think it just kind of kept changing they said look we're, we're growing the team do you want to come and lead these teams i kept saying no i've got a record label thank you very much goodbye so then i'd go back to glasgow and then they'd call me up and say hey we're doing a, a sales run you know, we want to go up and down the, the country again, uh, just trying to sell cases, open some accounts and things like that. So again, I was like, okay, I already know a lot about the brand. Let me go do yeah. that. So then I did that. They were like, cool, you're doing really well. You want a full-time job? You can run the sales team. I'm like, no, I've, I've got a record label, went back up. And they kept doing this. So I kept going back and forth. Now going to other countries to help train the new team leaders and do all these things. And I kept getting offered a job and I'd say, no, I've, I've got a record label. And then Dale and I, I think it was coming up to like 2000, I can't remember, 10 maybe. Um, and Dale, like we still had the record label, we weren't doing much with it. And it wasn't really doing anything meaningful. Um, like we never lost money, but we never really made money either. Mm. And so it was getting to that point like, okay, what are we doing? He wanted to go back to South Africa. Uh, I wasn't ready for that. And 
it was at that point that they then asked me to, to take over the music program for, for Monster and move down to London. And so that's what I did. So Dale went back to South Africa and uh, became a kite surf teacher. And I has got a school here in the US and South nice. Africa. And is, yeah, he's doing well, which is great. So he's still here in the US now. He's actually over in Florida. Um, and... And then I moved down to London to to run the sort of set up this music program for Monster and bring on bands and bring oh, on cool. festivals and stuff across Europe and, and put a real sort of program in place to support musos, which was super fun for me. And it, it, I, th- I think what, what I really drove it with was all this experience that I had with future records of setting up a MySpace page. And, you know, then yeah. I started getting HTML coding experience. And so I just started everything that we did. I was just tapping in monster which already this this great brand in america but no one had known what it was outside yeah i mean we had a lot of work you know ahead of us um and yeah so i I kind of drove the music program the heavy digital presence uh which is doing very well and because i had so many bands in different countries and i started doing a lot of translations because of my experience of just backpacking around the world is that you know not everyone speaks english so how can you possibly you know, communicate with them if you if you don't do it in their language and especially as a brand i just felt if you're going to go to another country you can't just be like just spew out this is yep. who we are and just yep. you know and you must just accept it i think you know monster as a brand was so strong the the messaging the the assets the image all of that stuff was really strong and that translated anyway but but it wasn't in the right language. So I started doing translations every day into Italian and Spanish and Latvian and Estonian and all these like weird languages. Across. So are those all languages you know? No, no. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> but, I, but I knew the importance of if we're going to go and open a market, we have to do it yeah. on the ground. Yeah. We have to actually yeah. be able to speak to people. And then it was the great thing of, of, of driving the music program with so much value. So again, if we've got these U.S or UK bands, because I was in Europe. Um, so if, if we had uh, British bands or a Spanish band that was, you know, we were trying to push them to our Swedish fans, then by doing that in Swedish and really opening it up, then the bands from the UK or France or Spain or wherever we were, then those guys were also getting value out of being yeah. sort of promoted to new fans, uh, being under the Monster roster. So it, it really was a, I think the greatest thing that I loved about Monster is that, course we were pushing a product and of course we're pushing a lifestyle and of course we're pushing all that stuff but it wasn't we weren't thirsty for it we weren't forcing it yeah it was really through being in such service to bands and such service to athletes and all that stuff that we really grew the communities that's you know, awesome. first so i always feel like our job was always it was selling something bigger and as a symptom of it people would buy the product and was that something that was kind of directed to you or did you kind of feel that because I, I resonate with that in terms of what I'm trying to do like I'm trying to build a profitable business I'm trying to sell hot sauce but there's something so much greater out there like craft hot sauce and kind of your background and how you came to be but there's also so many other people like like you but so completely different with their own influences and and i think it's it's easy or i think it's natural when you come across that and just the the desire to share that and and yeah and do more of that but i've never been able to say like 
this is a business plan. And, and I, I think there is some just natural follow your instinct and, but there also is that natural or that uh, scientific piece or not scientific, but just like coming up with a plan and measuring things. So I'm curious yeah. what that felt like at, at monster. Yeah. It was look, those guys are super smart. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing over there happened by mistake. You know, they're a yeah. huge global iconic brand and it's not by mistake. So there's, there's definitely, a, I guess, a, a things that you can tick off. And as you said, maybe a bit of a plan, but I think it also comes down to who you are, which then also comes down to who you're, you know, if we're all just floating electrons around the planet, like there's, there's things that attract you to things. And then sometimes you stay there, sometimes you don't. I was at, you know, I spent 10 years at Monster. So clearly I loved it, you know, and I I did have great relationships there. I had great learnings from there. And, and, you know, your question before was, you know, was this something that I came up with or was directed and I would say it was both. And I think that's why I did so well there. And I think that's, you know, why I guess I continued to learn under those same principles and values. It's, it was something that just, it was very easy for me to understand, whether it was told to me once or it just became part of it. And then I, you know, taught it to everybody else and to my teams as well. So it was all very values driven, principles driven, um, that, that we were doing something bigger than just, you know, trying to sell a drink. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, there, there's books like, you know, culture is everything and grow. And, you know, there's a lot. So you talk about business plans and then there's also a lot of just the kind of sharks where you're just going out for profit and that's it. And there's a lot of those business plans. So I think like most things like this all over here on my wall, that doesn't look like much like, is how I've broken down every function that I need to fill within sacred source. And it's, it's everything. And it's, if one, if one of those things disappeared, there's no business. Like mm-hmm. if there was no finance, if there was no um, labels, if there wasn't the production, if there wasn't shipping, if there wasn't customer service, like all of these things need to be in place. Not because they're nice to have. You just have to have it. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, how, do you, how would you want that to look? How would your messaging want to how should it sound how when you're thinking of culture and and value and stuff like that where do you define it and and you can imprint a lot of those things into other areas like your hr should be full of it but it doesn't mean finance and legal shouldn't be either Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you know branding shouldn't just be in brand and design it should be again in everything what do your invoices look like um you know what do packing slips look like they're so Everything is linked to everything. Yeah. But but when talking about the plan, yeah, there's definitely things that you 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 have to do. Yeah. Well, there in your profile um, on Craft Hot Sauce, you mentioned that there was kind of a, a lunch meeting that that you had, and and kind of a lot of the, I mean it's just a portion of what you've been talking about, but kind of a lot of your life experiences and things you've been mentioning kind of made a, an aha moment for you to, to start sacred sauce. So can, can you tell me a, a little bit about that kind of lunch who you're with, but maybe kind of your, also your, your mindset going into that. Yeah. So he's a guy like I wrote there was a, a mentor. Like a, 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 uh, he's a very, very wealthy guy. 
um, yeah, he's, I don't, I don't want to mention him because he's, he's very wealthy and I just don't know if, if you'd want to be mentioned in this, in this case. Um, but he, I, I got some time with him. Uh, I met him through another friend of mine uh, and he was a business partner and mentor of this guy. And so I met him and I like instantly felt very sort of, um, you know, I admired him because he was very successful, not just sort of lucky, he was very successful because he was very successful. Like he had planned it, he had worked at it. He's you know, constantly working on himself and he's done very, very well. And, um, and he's just one of those guys that is, he wasn't full of, in every uh, sort of, every time that I've met with him, it's not that he's just telling me what to do. That's not what he does at all. Most of the time, and quite frustratingly so, he's, it's more like he asks a lot of questions. And it's like, if I ask him the question, he'll just say, well, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That type of, which can be a bit annoying when you're just looking for the, for an yeah. answer or looking for some direction or whatever. But so anyway, that, that happened. Yeah. I went to a, uh, just a, a, a dinner, like a sort of late um, afternoon, evening meeting. And then after that, we went for a dinner. And so the initial thing was for me to, I came to him and I said, I want to start a business. I want to start a business again. I want to do something for myself and really build something that, because I've proved it now that I can, I can create value just from my own ideals and values and things like that, where I, I truly do live in service. That's a character trait. That's something that's always going to be in what I do. So so knowing that, how do I then take advantage of that? Because also when I feel the most fulfilled, when I'm doing something mm. like that and that's, that's the output, that's the result. And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's keep going. Yeah. And so even with mentors, that's why I love having mentors and stuff because it feels like there's that moment of them being proud of like, if I don't go to them and say, what should I do? I'll go to them even with three books and I say, based on, let's say financial literacy, I'm, my focus is learning financial literacy. I found these three books already. I don't know if you've read any of them, but which one would you suggest I read? Or do you have another one that's just top of mind? So I'm not asking them to do any work. Yep. I'll do all the work, but you just sort of help me choose. Guide. Yeah. Base, yeah, because they've already done it. These are practitioners. Um, and so that's ultimately what I wanted to go to him with, which is a whole lot of ideas and say, well, this, is, this is what I was thinking of doing. And, and it was really funny and kind of annoying because I told him that, I initially I thought, well, I, I read a lot of books. I do a lot of courses. I do a lot of that. And there's a lot of you know, coaching. And so I thought, well, maybe I'd be good at that. Again, I, I love people. I love providing value. Uh, I think that's why the coaching industry is so big because inherently people are good. And there's a lot of people out there that just genuinely want to help people. Yeah. And so I started talking to him about all of this stuff and my experiences in business and travel and work and all of these things. And, and he was like, okay, so, you're telling me you want to start a church. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? No, they don't get like all defensive. I'm like, oh, well, this is what I want to do. I want to try and help people and do all this thing. And he goes, okay, so you want to start a cult? I'm like, okay, all right. What do you, what do you mean? What do you like? Give me your wisdom then. Why am, why am I on the wrong path here? And he just said, look, it's fine if you want to do all these things. It's great. But also remember where the reasons why you want to do all of this stuff. So I said, well, obviously I want to make money but I want to make money so that I can, I, I get to travel. I, I want to be able to then you know, fly all over the world to do talks. And I'd already done some of this with monster, you know, doing just this, with sales talks or things like that and people reaching out for, for information. Um, 
And so I'd already tasted a bit of this. And then also it was also playing on that bit of stage experience and stuff that I had from being in bands. So these kind of things were mixing into one formatted dream as I, you know, when I look into the future. And, um, and it was really great for me to go through that conversation with him because he just really laid it out flat. And he said, listen, one thing you should just think of straight out is just, I imagine you're going to be wildly successful at this. So let's just start there. Mm-hmm. You're going to be really great at this. You're going to smash it. Cool. What does your life look like? Mm. Now it's not that I, I get to travel. Now it's that I have to travel. I have to be in Seattle at 4 a.m. to go and do this book signing thing and then jump on a plane straight away over to New York to go and do some other thing. And, and, and it's, although it's still providing value and I can still find that, that my part within that, at the same time, it's very much delivering or getting people to buy into me. And that was mm. it. And, and him laying that out and then being like, Again, what if I'm wildly successful? What if, what if yeah. I am the next like Tony Robbins? What does that look like? And is that the life that I actually wanted to live? And so it was kind of, you know, in a very short space of time during that conversation, looking at it and going, shit, you know what? No. And I don't have to coach. I don't have to be a coach to be able to coach people. Yeah. I don't have to be in some sort of weird position to be able to help people. Mm-hmm. So I can still do those things without having that title. Um, and then he started talking to me about real sort of why don't I do real products? And I thought, well, I mean, up until this point, I hadn't really thought of it. And um, and then, yeah, while we were eating, he, he was saying, well, what what product would you do if if you know if, if you wanted to do something? And I was like, well, I don't know. Now I'm kind of caught off guard, and I, yeah. like, I was going to pitch you these things, and you were going to find it amazing. <laughs> and I was going to be off, you know, spend the next few months underground writing. Um, and so it was very, yeah, threw me off, off course a bit, but it was great. So while we were having this discussion and he's asking me like, well, you know, is there, is there nothing that, that you're very passionate about or something you know a lot about in, in these real world products? And while I was sitting down with him eating at that point, I'm you know, throwing chili sauce all over my food, <laughs> and, you know, the sprinkles of chili flakes and all that stuff, which again... I mean, anyone that's eaten with me has has that moment of, you know, everyone that's eaten with me for the first time has that moment like, shit, that's not normal. But at the <laughs> same time, for people that like a lot of chilies, it is very normal. So we all know that, you know, that, that reaction. But it was kind of in that moment, him noticing what I was doing and then me noticing him with regards to the conversation we were having that sort of clicked and went, shit, maybe, yeah, maybe chili sauce is something that I... It's, I mean, it's, and it's like all of this stuff is happening in milliseconds, yeah. right? It's like all while I'm doing is noticing mm-hmm. him. And then, and then I'm got all this flood of memories like shit. I mean, I've been eating chili sauce since I was a kid and I've now eaten chili sauce all over the world. I've sampled so many different types, different kinds. I've made them. I've, I've had all these different experiences now with business and all this stuff. And I'm here trying to find something and why not this? And then there was that second follow-up question, which is that, you know, that dark passenger inside that's always trying to blow everything up. And uh, straight away, I was just like, oh, what what do I possibly know about chili sauce? You know, what what Mm. could I possibly do this? Um, But again, within a few split seconds of of this whole sort of moment happening, um, that was it. I was like, you know what? I can do this. And so that was the kind of that first step onto the path. And I never got off the path. That's awesome. Th- th- thanks for sharing that, Alan. Yeah. Cause I, I, I feel like I, I've 
had those conversations and I, and, and I've been uh, kind of in sales professionally for over 10 years. And I feel like those people that ask you the questions that they, those always come up to the best, best answer. And, um, but having those conversations kind of, as you were talking about things going in milliseconds, I think you can probably leave that meeting, that dinner with an idea and then it just seeps into eternity with all the branches and ideas coming out from there. Uh, did that happen with you uh, kind of leaving that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, most people, I mean, and I say most because, you know, some people are scared of, of creativity or feel that they're not talented or creative, but every one of us are. We yeah. all are. We all have that ability Absolutely. to think and come up with things. Yep. And what I found with that is you were saying about seeping things in. It's like your brain, like for me anyway, let's say two minutes before that conversation, my brain's firing on what I could be doing. What could it look like? The creative, the imagery, the wording, the thing, what the website, videos, like all of these things that you know that you're going to have to land up in, whether you're doing print media online like all these things you just know that you're gonna have to do it especially if you already know you're gonna do a business so it's like all these things are already in your head you need to do this thing but once i had that that moment of like i won't even say like i knew that i was going to do it it was more that 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 certainty behind at least getting if you think all of those different thoughts the creativity the branding, messaging, video, all these different things. If you had to imagine them as being a bit schizophrenic, like you're each of those individual people, when you have that moment that I had there and decided I'm going to do it around chili sauce, it basically just took all those 500 people that are in my head and just said, okay, instead of thinking of what a video might look like if I'm in it trying to do some coaching, what would that video look like if I was doing chili sauce? And what would the name look like? What would the branding look like? What would the websites? So it's really just curating all of those wild ideas that your brain's firing at a, like a million miles a second. Like, how do you, how do you give it enough mm. focus and attention to go, well, just look at this one thing. What might that look like? And again, from there, I would say, then there's a thousand different things because the logo yeah. could be a million things. The name could have been a million things. The flavor could have been a million things. The website could be a million. All of these things are just a million things. But, but you've got all those voices now and all those experiences and knowledge and, and people to lean on and stuff like that, all now focused on one thing. And that's why I say it's like I got on the path and I just haven't been off it because still to this day, I'm still just figuring things out and and really the answer is if i made a chili sauce what would it look like and my answer is sacred sauce and it's not mm-hmm. the best of everything yet because i'm you know i'm still learning how to edit videos and use photoshop and, and going down the everything path. that's yeah. in my head i'm trying to get out when i yeah. can so i was going to ask you what was that kind of that first step that first thing that you did but it sounds like you were already down that path and thinking about that before you even got to, to the idea. Um, but, but I, I guess like coming out of that, once you decided on making a chili sauce, uh, what were some of the, the first things that you, you did? The first plan of attack. I, you know, this is a really important question because it, it highlights that kind of question that a lot of people ask when trying to get into business and really the answer, the answer to anyone that wants to start a business is just start. That's the answer. 
just start yeah. where you can. And you obviously will always start where you can. If you're an accountant and you're going to start a business, you're most likely going to start with an Excel sheet and go, oh, what should I be doing? This thing needs to be profitable. If you're in marketing like me, then I was like, okay, I need to make a brand that people are actually going to like. Besides the source, obviously the source needs to be the top quality as well. And, and so does your email. So does your website. All these things have to be good. But when you just start with what you've got, the rest of the stuff you'll fill out later. And so for me, it was, I just turned to PowerPoint and I just started making, I essentially made about 10 different brands. And I just went with a completely different thing. One was going to be super funny and cool and, and uh, almost like an English gentleman type thing. Um, there were others that was just going to be super high end, um, you know, probably too expensive, but like really just super, super high end premium. Um, then there's another one that I wanted to call crowdsource, which was literally like trying to crowdsource chilies from all over the place and oh, you know, cool. make stuff from there. So it was just, I just looked at a whole lot of different brands and models and things like that and just put it all down because I think that's the other thing is, is knowing that we are creative and knowing that we will come up with good ideas, but also knowing that our first idea is not always the best Yeah, and being happy with that. So putting down, you know, I just went through and tried to, tried to just exhaust all the ideas that I had, you know, whether it was going to be around a character, whether it was going to be around a, a, the source, whether it was going to be around price, whether it was going to be around, whatever it was you know i looked at almost from a different angle and just thought well how would i make it if that was my focus how would i make it if this was my focus i i have a couple of your sauces i got them in an hour before we, we uh had this conversation and uh yeah they're, they're, they're delicious and, and a lot of the first times that i've had certain types of uh recipes uh or ingredients before uh, especially with the uh prickly pear cactus pads but um how did you approach coming up with uh flavors because I, I think some people they love an ingredient that they want to highlight and others kind of put a twist on a, a style of sauce that they like um, but i'm curious kind of what was your approach to to creating some recipes yeah so i'd say the first part is that i i, di I didn't go and look at other sources i didn't want to mm. look at at yep. make I, it was again i was in this frame of mind where i just thought if i was going to do this how would i do it and so what i did look at like most things you can see i'm a bit anal about systems and processes and things like that so the first thing that i did do with uh with sources was to look at what is the kind of format that you need to make a sauce, um, you know, and, and then especially when you, you're going, okay, well, I didn't want xanthan gum in. I didn't want water, for example. I didn't want uh, preservatives. I didn't want any of these things. But then obviously, like everybody, we all want the long shelf life and all that. Yeah. Sort of so it's like, okay, well, how do we achieve that? So then you look at uh, hot filling and things like that, which then also makes sure, you know, through hot filling, then I can't go with plastic. Not that I wanted to use plastic anyway, but then you can't use a plastic bottle because then it goes the cloudy white because of the hot filling and stuff like that. So there were a lot of, I think just starting with the end in mind first really cut out a lot of the shit that I just didn't want to even look at because like anything, like, you know, every answer in the world is on Google. You just got to ask it the question. So, and that's part of the problem when you're starting something new, you've got a thousand questions. 
So for me, it was trying to get rid of all the questions that I didn't ever want to ask. Like, and that was using uh, preservatives, xanthan gum, waters, fillers, all that sort of thing. Um, and then I basically just came up with a, my own sort of formula of what it needed. Um, so there was, you know, vinegar was obviously needed, but I didn't want it to be heavily vinegar based. I didn't want it just to be like a Tabasco type thing. So I didn't, then I, I didn't want to go down the fermenting side as well, because, you know, I thought it would be harder to scale from an early age, you know, from mm. a, a young company, things like that. So there a lot of early thoughts really on what not to do. And mm -hmm. then from the, the part of building it, then I also looked at it from the world of, of uh, sommeliers and wine. And I've always loved the, the whole idea behind the, the visuals. And that's why I have the visions in every drop. Because like a sommelier will tell you about the region that it comes from, the ground that it's, you know, these grapes were, were um, you know, grown in and the, the type of uh, weather and maybe the, the, the way that they make it. But then you've got these hints of chocolate and black currants and things that aren't in it, leather, tennis balls, <laughs> cigars, tobacco, stuff like that. And it's not in it at all, but it sets the tone. Yeah. It's really kind of, it changes something in you when you're, when you're about to eat it. So, I just knew that obviously with having a, a mass consumed product and something that I wanted to like truly be around the world and be on every you know, restaurant table and things like that. But how do I build something that uh, something that can have that effect on somebody without me being there? And so then I thought, well, all I have then is the bottle, the contents of the bottle and the label. Mm. That's it. Yep. And so, all of those things now have to do the job of telling the story and being really good. And the, the, the product is completely all natural. So it, it is an expensive product to make and that's why it's an expensive product to sell, but it's all completely natural. So instead, you know, instead of cutting any corners, I've put no unnecessary fillers in there, water as well, didn't want in there. And I just, I just wanted to make something that, that again, it, if I made it, what would it be? Yeah. And, um, and so that again was just a starting point was just make it all natural. And then secondly was how do I use ingredients that, you know, not just be weird for the sake of being weird, but how do I make something that does bring up some visuals? So like the blood orange and the cactus, I mean, that, that really does enable some visuals there when you see. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I just had a, a taste of it. Um, and I got the label here is uh, a spicy statement is bold and uh, exciting in a distinctive way, highly distinctive way. Chili is true to their nature, constructed with cactus, blood orange, pink salt crystals from the Himalayas. Kind of, yeah, and you mentioned it's a medium sauce. Um, but I definitely got some of the, the heat from kind of the, the serranos in there, but it, it does have a nice kind of fruity balance uh, that, that I really enjoy. I thought when you kind of said, uh, Ooh, I got, I got a, yeah, a little heat coming through. Um, when you say, uh, visions in every drop, I thought you kind of mentioned that kind of, which is a lot of your travel. Sometimes when I taste things or smell things, I get visions to where I've been. And, uh, I mean, probably most strongly, it's just, uh, taste of, of Guinness and just like I, it just just having a Guinness just reminds me almost of what it actually tastes like uh 
in Ireland. But the, yeah. I, I kind of has that kind of play a part into that at all with kind of uh, I think taste can be so visual and kind of take you back to other places as well in there. Yeah. I think the the key to, to your answer really, obviously from my side, look, that that's been my history and that's been my life and that's been my journey and everything getting to this point. And that's why I've chosen the things that I chose to be in it. But I think more importantly, coming from, um, the other angle that I was so mindful and thoughtful from day one that I didn't want to be the face of the brand. And that's why even doing these, this format now is I'm really loving. And, and it's worth saying on the, on, uh, on here as well, that interview that I did on, on your craft hot sauce.com, uh, you know, the profile, that was the first interview I've done. And so that was, it was, it was actually quite difficult to do in a sense because it felt like I was going against so many of the things that I'd put in place, the sacred source. And that was that I didn't want to be the face of it. And, and not because I'm a shy person. I think, okay, I am a private person. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not overly posting online or anything like that, but, um, and I'm not a shy person, but I just genuinely wanted sacred source to live on its own. I wanted mm. the brand, the, the icon, the name, the everything about it and the the mission behind it and the ten percent of profits going to the rainforest trust like i'm not that's that's a relationship now that i've put in place and i have an amazing relationship with them there and it's something that i want to do with them and them only this is like long-term relationship with these because of the you know the work that they do and i wanted people to see sacred source and try sacred source and buy into the brand for what it is and not for me because i'm still a you know human that fucks up occasionally so, you know but it, but i think it also came down to that that point that you know i had over dinner that night um was that i i do i want to have a cult brand i mean who wouldn't right if you were you know really if you started something who wouldn't want something that went globally huge and was iconic for for for, for the right reasons um but i don't think i i didn't want to be in that position where it's like where I felt that it was me that the more the bigger the brand got the bigger I got I didn't want that I, I genuinely wanted to build something that would stand on its own and people would buy into and love that brand and wouldn't you know would never know who I was mm. you know and I'd be happy with that mm. um, but going through even this format now I'm finding it a bit easier because it's like you know you're asking me questions and then I answer it so it's yeah. like all, all I have to be is is honest and open, <laughs> which yeah. I can be. Well, as much as uh, you're not being the face, uh, like uh, presenting yourself as sacred sauce, um, we're both hot sauce solo entrepreneurs, meaning that we're kind of doing everything behind it, yeah. creating recipes. And this is a, a list that I'm about to fire through, which is probably on your to-do list. Uh, creating recipes, labels, sourcing produce, FDA approvals, barcodes, branding, marketing, legal, regulatory governance, trademarks, service agreements, finance, modeling, taxes, packaging, warehouse, inventory management, shipping, creating tech APIs, design, Photoshop, social media, email copy, advertising, Amazon selling, selling retail, customer service, industry research. Does that get you excited or stressed out? <laughs> it's... I think 
neither right now. You know, it's funny that you, you list all those things off because a few months ago, uh, and it's worth noting, uh, you know, Sacred Source went live on January 15th. So, it's, you know, it's only a few months old now. Um, but I've been working at it now full time for, you know, almost a year. And, and getting it to that point was all of those things you just mentioned, which is you know, written all over the wall, over the wall. But it, I think the stress part that I feel with, with you asking me the question about that isn't necessarily about that. It's where I am right now, mm, because yep. I think building all of those things and, you know, knowing what to do is half the battle and you still have to go and do it, which is, you know, we're going to close that knowing doing gap. And um, so knowing what to do was, was really helpful for me with my experience and stuff in business and travel and all the rest of it to, to document everything first and then go, all right, let's just start. And again, start where you can start with what you know and what you don't know, then start leaning on friends, family, colleagues, and then what you can't do, then go and pay somebody. Yeah. Like you just need, you, it's like, it has to get done. So, um, you know, running through all that stuff wasn't stressful. I loved building it, but building a company is completely different to running a company. Mm. And so that's the part now that I feel like I'm a bit stressed and like everything up to that point of launching and testing and getting it all done has been exciting and fun and I've been energized and I've been you know, just busy, busy, busy. And now that it's launched, I did the testing, I've done the thing, and now we're all forced indoors. And, you know, I was, I was just starting my process of talking to retailers. And I, again, had a whole system and process and all that stuff. And I just started along this route. And then everything went yeah. as crazy as we know it today. And we're all in the same boat. So it's like, you know, I can't say why me or poor me or anything like that. You know, we're all just trying to navigate through this, uh, this COVID-19. But, um, yeah, I think that's, your question about is it stressful listening to all that stuff? No, I was really excited to create it. But I think, yeah. again, I, I could, I, I genuinely feel from all the stuff that I, I did over the last year, I could make any company tomorrow, the next day. I could literally build any company with a data room, with all the right governance and legal stuff in place, websites, APIs, technology, the, the name, the branding, the reasons behind everything. I could do that again. I could do it every year. I could build a company after company after company, but that doesn't mean it's going to be successful. It doesn't yeah. mean people are going to buy it. doesn't mean people are going to give a shit about it. doesn't mean people are going to, you know, it, from what I view a, a product is really buy into something with, you know, that has depth. Yeah. And that, you know, comes back to even the music back in 2006, we wrote some songs, we recorded some songs, but it wasn't big because we, we built something. We didn't, we didn't run a business. Yeah. And, and so I, I kind of want to dig into that just because that's something I struggle in today is, um, is figuring out what I need to do on a weekly basis and also kind of figuring out how much I can take on versus I'm like setting myself up for failure. And sometimes when I try to take on too much, I drop it. I forget about it for a week. I have to pick it back up. I try to get reorganized and I try yeah. to I do it something differently. So I've uh, been writing on my uh, little to do here, five things I'm going to focus on in a week. And then I put nine things, but put them as like this nine counts Sub as five. And I didn't get it done this week. So now my this week is to like set this up. So I'm like still struggling to find like the right way for, me to approach things. And I'm, I'm thinking just with your experiences, you probably 
tried to lay it out in a structure, at least when starting and building it, um, that you're like, this is kind of a first step then a second step. But do you have any, any suggestions for folks that, I'm sure, I, I know you do, and we could talk about this for hours, but um, kind of approaches for kind of managing how you work yourself and also how to get things done and progressing to set things up and then we yeah. can get to the running stuff later, but I, I'm kind of thinking more about setting it up in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's definitely two different approaches, right? I think the 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 biggest one in when you're in setup phase is knowing that your launch date is that kind of day that you open the doors for everybody and go, "Hey, everyone, look what I've been working on quietly, you know, for the last X amount yeah. of time." Now, I think launches work really well because I, I never did a launch. I kind of just was like, "I'm doing one thing at another," and yeah, I'm, I'm around here. Like, yeah, now, yeah, you can get hot sauce now. But I've seen companies that do a launch that work really well. Yeah, and I think so. Like I, so I didn't do that the, the really well part that you just. <laughs> I did it the way you did it. It was just sort of plugging away, plugging away, and it's like, okay, it's on. Um, and so I did it that way. But I, but I think the the key to your question, where you're saying, well, what about people that are trying to get things done that are working through, and how do you manage all the different tasks? Um, on the run up to it, I would say it's a lot easier because it's not live. So everything you're doing is beyond closed doors. You can change your mind. You can work and you can come back to it next week. You can do whatever. And there, there, but there are so many different things you need to be working on. So for me, it was easy to, what helped was instead of putting things into departments, was putting things into the, those functions, as I said, like absolute necessary functions. And then it's just work on it. And sometimes I'd get annoyed of like working on one thing. I'd get like frustrated and I'd go and work on something else. And what are and some it, of those examples of functions that I'd imagine? Those kind of, things like that, that I'd read out to you uh, in, in the, um, uh, on the, the craft hot sauce profile. Uh, yeah. So, it's, you know, things like brand, legal, design, finance, clothing, the product itself labels, packaging, shipping, technology, website, collateral, emails, customer services, all these things, the governance and uh, trademarks, all these different things that needed to be done just because they had to be done. It wasn't, the, it wasn't like nice to haves. Like under product, I've got a whole lot of nice to haves, which is new product development, new things that I want to make. That's all nice. But if I, let's say, let's say I spent four months making more products. So let's say I launched with five products, but my customer services wasn't put in place. Then to me, it's not a proper company. So I'd rather have launched with two products and made sure yep. that all those other pieces were in yep. place, that there was automation. And if refunds needed to happen, it would happen. And, uh, you know, the packaging and shipping and insurance. All if, that stuff if you don't, it, it's costly or it, it, you're playing catch up and you can never catch back up. Like, so, so those are things you got to get in place before getting too far ahead of yourself. Yeah. And so that's why I say it's, it's a bit easier to do pre-launch. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it really doesn't matter what you're working on. As long as you're ticking something off the list. Um, and then the best way for me to do it was, as you've got with your, your board up there, but I'm a bit more visual, was just to put it all up somewhere. And then... In my head, it wasn't so much of, you know, people talk about, oh, you put on a different hat. Now I'm this hat, and then I'm the design hat, and then I'm the chef hat, and then I'm all these different hats, which is fine. And people understand it because the story and there's the, the visual and it's an analogy and you can understand it. But when you're 
sitting alone in your room or in your office and you're not physically putting on a different hat, it can be very overwhelming to be working on trying to do something with design, which is, can be frustrating work. It's moving literally a pixel, depending if you're as anal as I am, but like moving little things because it has a bigger meaning, not yeah. just because of it being about a color or something, but really driving it because of that meaning you're going to get back. And, and when you're thinking of that, and then you get an email about trademarks and stuff that's going to happen in six or eight months' time, and then it throws you off, and then you get an email from their bank or from some or the, somebody wants a deposit for something else, and and it can be very overwhelming just to be in this mix of just chaos because you're getting yeah. distracted all the time, and that's just life. Those, those things you can't stop them, yeah. and if you're only working on it, then you have to cover everything. But one of the biggest things that helped for me was to break it into those. As I said, not departments, because as I said, marketing would be in one company would be a department that has legal and branding and websites and everything underneath. So I wouldn't have a marketing department, especially if you're one person, you don't have a department. So that's why I say choosing, the, writing down the functions, the absolute necessary functions that a company, any company needs to, to have. I put those down as the titles and then started working off that. Like, how does that apply to my company? Um, which then made it easier for me to then look at a wall and go, all right, these yeah. are the things I need to cover. And a lot of them, like I said, trademarks, are, you know, these are things that take months and months and months. So you just, you just have to keep pushing it along. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean to plug my own trademark podcast, but that, that's something that's I important be, because yeah. it's, uh, if, if, if it's something that ends up being a problem, you, I mean, you can take everything that you did and kind of re branded and position it but that's, that's a, it's a lot of work so um but it's not even just the work i think it, it fundamentally changes the way mm. things are and i think it's different it, i think it also depends on the type of company you make like um that friend of mine alan i was telling you about over in scotland uh you know he once told me well you know name doesn't really matter because if microsoft was called tomsoft it would still be just as big and it's like okay so there's an argument there but but if Monster was called something else, it, it wouldn't be Monster. And I think if Sacred Source didn't have that positive word and that, you know, that, you know, there's a reason why I chose all those things. There's a reason behind every decision I've made. And I've really tried to make sure that that one decision is based on the, the real underlying elements to what the brand and what the company is about and all the values and all that stuff. So that every decision is made through the lens of what that brand is so to me if someone had to uh, tell me to change the name it's it would to me it would fuck up the entire thing yeah it just would of course yeah. i could go rebrand put a different thing and the product would be the same the source would be the same but that would the visions in every drop be the same would that positivity behind it be the same would the logo of the same weight with having that big red heart at the center of it you know all of those things would change yeah the trademarks, it's, it's just, I think, again, you know, from learnings, if you treat, you know, people say, if you treat your business like a, a hobby, it'll behave like a hobby. If you treat it like a business, it'll behave like a business. And I, for one, is definitely not going to put all my effort, energy, money, sweat, tears, go full time at it, really have a full go at this. And left, you know, I left a, a very high paying job, you know, to, to do this. Um, and, and the thing is, I, I'm treating it like a business in the hope that it will, you know, then behave like one. Yeah. And what I'm learning is that it, 
it is hard. Business is hard. It's hard for everybody. It doesn't matter your experience, knowledge, background, whatever. It's hard. I have a lot of experience. It, it doesn't make it easier. It's yeah. still just as hard. But, but the thing is the time will pass anyway. So you just got to keep going, keep going and build it for the long term because no business in the history of business succeeded in year one. Yeah. And yeah, so no, and, and I aim I, for that long run. And I don't think uh, I, I know. Just have we're all thinking about kind of the, the good that the business can do, and and just the, I mean, it, it d- d- differs, but between people, I think for, for my guiding principle is crack, like having good crack, and and Alan knows from living in Glasgow and probably meeting lots of uh, Scottish, English, British, uh, and, and Irish folks is is. Kind of having good crack, having a good time, and getting people together, and and especially in the circumstances, I I can't wait for that. I mean, we can have crack distancing right now, but um, I, I think it, it, building upon it is is so much fun. Like I I, I kind of started making my first uh, batch in a commercial kitchen in in 2017, but I was tell my fiance how excited I was working on some projects around kind of uh, just some marketing automation emails that I was going to start learning more about people that I was uh, interacting with and, and selling to and, and thinking about how we, I can actually create a community with people. Um, and, and I think one of my most fulfilling pieces and I'd love to get your, your take on kind of the feelings that kind of energize you and keep keep on going um is just i I don't know what it exactly is but it's kind of building something that you're seeing happening at a micro scale and then thinking about how big it could get and how what the good could come from that um and and so i I don't know exactly what it is if it's excitement if it's kind of seeing a step forward and and all the hard work that you've done you get to see some like small results and get a glimmer of what is hopefully to come. Um, but Alan, you're talking, putting a, a lot of what I've been thinking into words really well, and I'm not trying to put the pressure on you, but uh, I'm curious about kind of those feelings that you get when you get creating. Um, and, and I think there's ups and downs where you get frustrated or, or lost, but there are those moments where you see progress. And, and I'm curious how, how that kind of, that feeling is for you and, 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 what actions have kind of brought that recently? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big question. I think, you know, as a person, I'm I'm a very emotional boy. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, coming, talking about, it's almost what you've just asked me now made me think to our earlier part of the conversation, talking about music and that moment when you're all in it and your eyes are closed and you're kind of in that flow state that, you know, that a lot of athletes and bands and business people talk about. And I think when you really, I mean, when you're truly in it for the right reasons and you truly believe that what you're building and like for me, 10% of all the you know, profits go to the, the rainforest trust. That's awesome. So, and, and I, I mean, I think so, you know, I, I genuinely think so. And I, I love the work that they're doing, they're protecting species and communities and habitats under threat today. They're not talking about planting trees tomorrow because, you know, like most of the, especially like Madagascar and places like that, where they're just getting, Far, everything's just being mowed down at a ridiculous rate. Pl- going to plant back some trees over there is necessary, but the damage is already done. 
So what the Rainforest Trust is doing is protecting these species and habitats and communities before people come in there and do all the illegal logging and you know, fucking up the land, basically. So, um, and it was quite funny, actually, just uh, last night I was on TED.com on, on TV and I, I just said, you know, you can just talk into the microphone to do the search. So I, just, I was on, TED, uh, on TED's app uh, and I just thought, I wonder what, if you say chilies, what comes up? Like, are they going to be about farms? Are you going to be about something? And so I said chilies into, uh, into TED's uh, search bar and it came up with uh, one video only. And the video is how to grow a rainforest or how to save the rainforest, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Know, just having that moment. But um, sorry, going back to the, those kind of feelings, it's easy to get kind of drunk on success. It's easy to get carried away with all the ideas, right? Like wh- when, you, when you're selling a million a month, yeah, the great stuff we're going to do. Because then it's very easy. But, and and so for me, it was very important to build it in right from day one. And that's why I've got that, you know, active membership with 1% for the planet. And I've got this great relationship with the Rainforest Trust now, because again, it was, everything is learning. Everything is learning. And what I'm doing now with my life is learning how to build a hot sauce brand in the U.S. in our current circumstances, everything that everything's, you know, everybody's going through. And that's my thing to figure out and it's going to be hard and so i i just thought from the beginning that either way i've got to figure out how to do this let me but if i build it the right way i still have to figure out how to do it so quite a few people told me that i shouldn't do the charity stuff in the beginning i should rather wait get a leg in there make sure that i build a fan base get all this thing and once you know once we start getting some orders and getting some sort of more meaningful sales and stuff like that then of course, go out and, and, and be, do good with what you've got. And for me, I just thought, well, I could, but I'm also human. And what if, I, what if it doesn't work out? And what, you know, the whole part of the messaging is that I wanted it to be good from day one. I wanted to build yeah. a, you know, a humanity plus socially responsible business. So I can't say that if I'm not doing it. And, there, and equally, then you know, that's something that grinds me. There's a lot of companies out there that do do that. They say, well, we're giving 10% of our profits and then you, you find out that they're not profitable anyway. So they're saying they're giving money away, but they're not. Like I'm contractually obligated now through 1% for the planet and with uh, the Rainforest Trust that even if I don't make any money, they're still getting the, what would have been 10% of the profits. So, that's great. Um, so for me, that's, it's def, you know, is it a hindrance in a way? Yes, it's definitely a hurdle to overcome. But it's something that I just thought I'm going to put in place and I'm going to find a way how to make this work. That's awesome. And so so yeah. those are some of those, you know, we, we talk about feelings and, and how it makes me feel. The, I spend a lot of time in the future, uh, you know, going to the future and being like, what does it look like? Because that's the only way for me how I map out my path. Because I'll often think something and go, you know, like that dinner I had with a go, okay, just imagine you're wildly successful at this. What does that look like? And, th- but then you might imagine and go, oh, that's not actually what I wanted. I wanted it to be more like this. Yeah. And so then, so that's why I say I spend a lot of time in the future because then I can pull it back to where I am today in this point of time with the tools and everything, the resources I've got and go, okay, well, how, how do I just take the next step in that place, you know, to that right destination? 
Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it, it's been so awesome hearing about the the journey, and I, I think it would be kind of fun to wrap up thinking about the future, just because it's um, definitely weird times right now, and obviously um, thinking out to everybody across the world that um, need needs help right now, and I think uh, just people that can help. And, and even if you're, I, I think, Alan, you're, you're send, setting a, a great uh, example of not being a huge established company and still being able to give back. And, and I, I think financially is, is amazing. Uh, but also there's other things of just volunteering a, a lot of different other ways. Um, so I was thinking about the times. Uh, it, it's also good to think about the future and, and all the good that's going to be coming soon. So curious about kind of what you've been thinking about your future and, and kind of uh, where you are right now for things you're working on. And, and uh, yeah. Well, to answer, honestly, I'm kind of pulling my hair out, scratching my scalp and trying to figure this <laughs> shit out along with everybody else. I mean, it's, it's, it's jolted everybody off track. Yeah. I mean, this is something that's, it's whatever you think of it, right? Cause I also still have friends and family in so many different countries now. And I see very different reactions going on to what the news is. And, um, you know, and people have their own opinions of, of Trump and stuff here in the U S and, and things like that. And, and we have our own, you know, in South Africa, we've had I mean, crazy presidents in the past, but you know, I'm still then looking at Ivory coast and, and countries like that, like, um, Equatorial Guinea, how are they coping with shit like this? So, you know, on one hand, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm also trying to figure this out financially and, and see what's going on. As I said, my, my plan during this time as of a month ago, and I sort of entered that plan with, you know, where I started documenting everything, who I'm going to speak to and getting all those details and, and preparing the pictures and all that and starting to go to retail. And, I did that as all of this kicked off. So it's also thrown me off in a sense where I've got to now rethink everything because everything that I'd done now it's done and that work's done, which is great, but I have to put it on the shelf now and yeah. refigure things out as well because retail has obviously changed dramatically now. Um, so yeah, the future is, I think we just got to figure it out. I think it's just staying nimble as well and, and doing what we can and, and just, just being aware, I think. And, and this helps, I think, is just talking. I think this has been the great thing of um, you know, my fiance works now. She's in the, the other side of the house because she's working from home. Um, and this whole working from home thing is, is definitely interesting for a lot of people. But even for someone like me now, talking to you over Zoom, which also helps. I think just talking about, talking about it and asking questions is a good way to come up with the answer anyway. Mm. Yeah, I, I love that. Well, uh, I know your e-commerce store is, is up and running and uh, delivering very reliably and quickly. Um, so definitely a pl plug to get uh, some sacred sauce and actually properly use the salad sauce on uh, kind of a, a salad-like uh, meal today. So I'm excited to be using this, these more. Um, and uh, just wanted to thank you, Alan, for for sharing your story and, and uh, I can quite confidently say inspiring others in here, but I, I guess uh, before we go any any kind of final thoughts or, or uh, anything else you want to share with the, the craft hot sauce followers? 
Um, I don't know. You know, I actually did a, you know, since, as I said, since your uh, interview, I've, I did another one just this week, earlier this week with the business sort of magazine. And they were also asking me like, what do you want to, you know, if you, you've got a few minutes now to talk about your brand, what do you want to talk about? And it's, I think in my inability to do it in a sense is also the lesson for people just to get out and start. Mm. So if, if there's people out there listening now wondering, and it, it might not be hot sauce, it might be like me where I was wanting to do something digital and then landing on hot sauce, but you know where your interests are, you know what your, your abilities are and stuff like that. So maybe someone's out there listening now about making a hot sauce and they end up doing something else. So I think that the real lesson to anybody is just to start because everything else you're going to have to figure out along the way, including how you talk about it. I'm still learning how to talk about sacred sauce because I was so as I said earlier, like, re- trying to remove myself from the, the brand as such and really give it its own self. So that's why I like, you know, when you ask me questions about the flavor or the sauce or how I did this or why the brand looks like that, or um, because I can then just answer honestly. But if I'm trying to plug it on my own, then it just I just fall flat because I don't know really what to talk about. But, you know, selfishly, I just hope people go and, you know, follow the link, look, search for sacred source. I mean, if you, if you can't find it, then I've done a shit job. So, <laughs> uh, so just search for sacred source and, and give it a go. You know, it's all natural. It's, I love it. That's why I made it. Um, and it, I, I feel it really does go with everything and it's great. Um, but yeah, to, to the audience, like I was, you know, I went and, and listened to, to at least three of your, your podcasts as well and learned to life. And there's a lot of value in, in, in listening to people and, and things like that. But I think the, if you're at a different stage and all of the kind of tick boxes or things that we spoke about aren't really relevant to anyone right now, and maybe they're just looking for that little kick to start, there's a lot of excitement in starting and there's a lot of work. And the bottom line is the quicker you start, the quicker you get to those next stages. And they're just stages. You never finish. You just, yeah. You're just always, always building infinite game yeah. yeah but thank you very much i think you know one of the things that was coming into this with as well is that you know being um uh you know with you you have you having your own uh, crack source as well uh, and also traveled you know i also got to to know that about you from talking to you about going to ireland and uh you know having family and stuff out there but do you know do you ever get a ta- chance to really dive into your own travels and tell your own story about crack sauce? Uh, I, I, I do at, at farmer's markets, I feel. And, and, um, and I'm, I'm not, I've been very fortunate in, in a town, living in a town of Lowell, Mass, uh, where it's an extremely diverse town with uh, so many different cultures and, and it's a real blend of cuisine and, and businesses and, um, I love going to the farmer's market, which is thankfully still open. It, it has been an indoor market in an old mill building um, built in the, the 1800s, but now it's all outside and it's just great seeing folks uh, out there every week. But uh, I feel like a lot of people just have an interest of, of kind of learning more about every single person at a booth. And I think people really do take an interest in that. I, I think that's the most fulfilling piece is getting to know your community more and sharing ideas. So um, I, I feel like I, I haven't done it on a podcast officially like this, but I'm definitely doing it just in the people. I think that's a, a really fun 
an, an piece with starting a business that you meet so many people along the journey. And, and I think they're really interesting people and they help pave the path for you and just thinking about things differently or introducing to you to other people that, um, I was thinking of my friend, Zach, who I went to grew up with and he, he introduced me to, uh, this one guy who he has a, uh, Actually, if, if I give it away, that'll really kind of share it with him. But he, he came in and was like, you got 10 seconds to give me your Shark Tank pitch. What is it? Or, or I think it was 30 <laughs> seconds. And I was like, well, I mean, I like making hot sauce. Like, it's real flavorful. I, I think I want to get a sense of community. He's like, no, you got to – like – and I was just like, that is not me. And that's realizing something I don't want to be with that. So, like, I think, like, just meeting people, whether it's good – uh, conversations or ones that you're like, I, I might not talk to this person again. Um, I think that really shapes kind of like what you're, you're making. So uh, I've just yeah. really enjoyed that over the years. Nice. Yeah. It, it's, I'm finding that even online now with socials, like, you know, really trying to respond to every single comment, no matter what it is, you know, and even the, the jokers that will be like, you know, with, with mine having the visions in every drop and they, you know, have some people come on, there going, what? So let's just be honest. Are there drugs in there? <laughs> uh, and, you know, even just having to answer every single question uh, or every single comment, I think is also that it, it makes you think because even if it's completely false or if it's completely, you know, not in line with what it is, you're still having to respond as to why it's not. Yeah. So uh, Alan, I'm sure, uh, I mean, we're, we're going to, keep up to date with you and, and wishing you all the best of luck, but um, we, we really appreciate you. You've obviously put a lot of thought and energy uh, into your brand. And, and I really thank you for taking the time to, to really share that story with um, on the profile, which I recommend if you haven't uh, checked that out, but obviously this conversation as well, I, I've really enjoyed it and found it valuable for myself, but um, yeah, check out sacred sauce and, and uh, thank you again for your time, Alan. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in. I uh, hope you enjoyed that story with Alan. If you want to try his hot sauce, you can. Uh, you can do that by subscribing to the Craft Hot Sauce subscription box. Uh, it's one of my favorite things, getting to pick out the different hot sauces, hearing about all the stories, and then sharing them with you all, because I think that's the, the most fun piece is when you get to hear about the story and then obviously try the hot sauce. They're very good and, and definitely some unique sauces. Uh, that I enjoyed. So yeah, check that out on crafthotsauce.com. Uh, but as promised, here is the whole song of Here I Stand by Alan Price. Thanks for listening, y'all. Have a great day. Now you need to be electrifying
Keep in time. 